Hello, how's it going? This is Unanimous Indecision. I'm Joshua Troop. We are on to part seven. I might have that wrong. I lost. Where'd that paper go? Uh, we are on part seven. Yes. Uh, I totally know what I'm doing. Believe me. Um, so we are in the middle of phase five. Uh, we are hopefully going to conclude phase five today. Uh, again, like I was saying, with uh, part six, the last part, uh, not phase five, not super fleshed out, but we got a few films in there. Uh, we talked about Namor and Captain Britain and stuff like that. So some cool stuff, new stuff. Um, what we're starting off with here today is some old stuff. Uh, Black Panther 3 going still in phase five. Uh, so finishing up the trilogy of Black Panthers, uh, here is what I want the Black Panther movie to be. I want, of course, you got Black per Panther and Shuri there. Uh, we're also going to introduce a new guy. His name is Eden Fezzi. Fezzi? I'm going to assume it's pronounced that way. Uh, he is the hero known as Manifold. He is a mutant. Uh, so we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, the villain, this might surprise you, um, so, uh, a very famous villain, uh, from the comics is the person that M'Baku has become, um, which is the leader of the Jabari tribe, the worshiper of the gorilla god, uh, big enemy in comics. And finally, M'Baku is going to be the villain of this. Now you're saying, why would M'Baku uh, be a villain? He was, sure, he was a little uh, standoffish in the first one, but he's come to T'Challa's aid in Black Panther 1, in Infinity War, in Endgame, that kind of stuff. Um, he even, with the way I wrote it, he uh, abdicated the throne back to T'Challa, um, he helped fight the Atlanteans in my thing, in my, uh, plan. So why is M'Baku, uh, let's not say turning evil, but why is M'Baku changed motivations or got this new motivation? Well, he's furious with T'Challa. Think about it. it with T'Challa's time as king, he has brought so many threats to Wakanda's front door. Killmonger, Thanos' army, Atlantis' army, and potentially the Skrulls of the Secret Invasion. Uh, now, the Skrulls aren't necessarily Black Panther's fault, but um, everything else is. Black Panther, Killmonger is Black Panther's first cousin. Thanos' army? Yeah, Black Panther said, sure, Avengers, you can come to Wakanda. And Atlantis' army, T'Challa, insulted Namor, which led them to war. So, T'Challa is to blame, at least from Baku's perspective, of course. These are a king's choices, a hero's choices. These are not easy uh, things to decide. Um, and so... Mbaka also points out that T'Challa was too much of an overcorrection to past King's actions of keeping Wakanda entirely secret. By publicizing Wakanda, T'Challa has brought all these threats. 
and so Mbaku on the uh, Wakanda's council as the leader of the Jabari tribe because like I said in Black Panther 2 the Jabari tribe are now part of the main Wakanda uh, group part of the main Wakandan government um, and so Mbaku leaves the council upset with T'Challa's actions and he searches out a, the Wakandan, the this cult in Wakanda known as the Death Tiger cult. Um, Nakia, right? She wasn't in my second movie, but she will be in this one. Uh, she, remember her and T'Challa had like a lot of uh, good chemistry with each other. Um, he clearly liked her and she liked him, but uh wasn't a ton of opportunity for them to be together cuz she didn't want to be a queen but he wanted her to be a queen so, but uh even though she still loves him Nakia leaves him because he has neglected her in his time as king he's just sent her on missions away from him thinking that that's what she wanted and so Mbaku uh after leaving and finding the Death Tiger cult, he begins to pray even more to Hanuman, which is the gorilla god, um, to and Mba and the Hanuman uh, blesses Mbaku to protect Wakanda's traditions and overthrow T'Challa to make a new Wakanda. And so Shuri in this will be uh, advising T'Challa quite a bit because she has gotten to know the people. She was in charge of the reconstruction process after the flood uh, from the Atlanteans. From, um, she's really gotten to know them as like chief engineer um, and really helped with the infrastructure of Wakanda, the new infrastructure of Wakanda. Um, and of course T'Challa underestimates M'Baku, uh, and the Tiger Death Cult, uh, because the Tiger Death Cult are, Death Tiger Cult, sorry, are just a bunch of killers. So T'Challa's like, why would M'Baku side with them? Um, they've kind of become like M'Baku's hit squad, <laughs> uh, even though he's not assassinating anyone. Um, except he wants to overthrow T'Challa. Um, and M'Baku wins the fight uh, against T'Challa when they greet each other. Um, but T'Challa never surrenders the throne, and M'Baku's not ready to kill T'Challa yet. Uh, he wanted T'Challa to surrender it to give the throne back, because remember M'Baku, at least the way I tell it, M'Baku was king of Wakanda uh, during the five-year jump that people were dusted like T'Challa and Shuri. Um, but T'Challa does not relinquish the throne and gives time for the Dora Milaje and Shuri to fight off the Tiger Death Cult. Um, Okoye helps T'Challa Okoye and Shuri help T'Challa see what which of his actions might have uh, inspired the Tiger Death Cult's creation and um, 
who they are, what they're doing. Uh, and Nakia comes back to T'Challa trying once again. Uh, of course, T'Challa is now very injured. And she comes trying to get him to give it all up because look what it's doing to him. It's getting him hurt. Uh, but he refuses accepting his responsibility, his duty to his country. Um, Shuri brings, a, she meets a Wakandan citizen, presumed, presumably someone she's known, um, uh, Eden Fezzi. Uh, he's violently ill. Uh, and so she brings him to T'Challa for help. Um, they realize that he is a mutant. And so T'Challa suggests that he should go to America and go to Xavier's Institute um, to go grab Storm and bring her here since she'll be able to help Eden. Or they should take him to Xavier's, to the Xavier Institute, so that Storm can help him there. Um, because Storm's a mutant, and mutants can help each other, right? <laughs> uh, they know much more about this than Black Panther or Shuri know. Um, but Shuri is heavily against T'Challa leaving um, because they're in the middle of kind of a coup and a potential civil war with M'Baku's push for the throne. Uh so T'Challa finds himself helpless for the boy while Wakandan doctors try to calm him down to treat him. Now this sickness that Eden Fezzi's going through is um, is the puberty, right? Because mutations often uh, reveal themselves uh, when mutants go through puberty. Uh, as was explained in the comics. Um, it's a very stressful time for the body. Uh, so T'Challa, as helpless as he is, begins to wonder uh, if M'Baku is right, and he prays to Bast, the panther god, asking if there is another champion worthy to protect Wakanda. Uh, seeing if he can leave Wakanda in someone else's hands. Um, and Bast answers him, but says no. There's no one else. No other champion worthy to protect Wakanda. Uh, T'Challa was the chosen. <laughs> um, Nakia uh, joins M'Baku in hopes that after M'Baku... Uh, overthrows T'Challa that she can be with him um, because he'll accept that he can no longer be King of Wakanda so he'll be able to be with Nakia um, and he'll, he'll be more accessible more free um, than he is as King uh, more like how it was when they were kids um, Eden's sickness eventually goes away on its own, right? Because it's a mutation sickness. But his mutation begins to reveal itself as he is a teleporter, and he can't really control where he's teleporting, so he's just popping in and out all over the palace. Um, T'Challa fails to calm the boy down, but Shuri succeeds, knowing the child, knowing the guy. Um, knowing Eden and 
a uh, few things about his lifestyle, his life. Um, M'Baku and his followers uh, come again to the palace, and they actually see uh, how uh, there's this teleporter now in Wakanda, and they blame T'Challa for these new mutants in Wakanda. Wakanda didn't used to have mutants. How come all of a sudden it does, you know? Um, so there's more mutant mutant prejudice, but it's in Wakanda, which is very interesting. And um, and so they debate uh, over the specific... Uh, what's the word? Um, pitfalls of T'Challa's rule as king of Wakanda deciding they they have a debate they argue they they discuss what was T'Challa's fault and what wasn't T'Challa's fault what just sort of happened what fell into his lap um and because they're now having the, such a peaceful negotiation they're finally talking they're airing out their grievances and trying to solve this um with words rather than killings. <laughs> um, Nakia realizes that if T'Challa stays king, if they come to a compromise, she won't be able to have T'Challa because as king, he's too busy for her. So she attacks a death tiger uh, cultist uh, even though she came in with them, but she attacks them with a Dora Milaje spear. Um, so the cultists begin attacking the Dora Milaje. The Dora Milaje are forced to fight back, even against T'Challa's uh, orders. And so both sides begin fighting for control of Wakanda. Uh, T'Challa finally is able to stop everyone. Um, and he says that the that it should be handled just like tradition as T'Challa initially established his rule. It should be a fight between the two of them, between M'Baku and T'Challa. Not everyone else needs to fight. And M'Baku accepts this challenge and he claims he brings up that he was a better ruler while, while T'Challa was dusted, those five years of ruling, he was a better ruler. And he's been disappointed with how T'Challa's carried out the country uh, with his inexperience. But they both have a little inexperience, but M'Baku believes he did a better job. Um, and he gave up the throne, so now he wants to take it back. Uh, so T'Challa drawing his power from Bast and Umbaku taking his power from Hanuman. These two uh, powered individuals fight each other. Of course, T'Challa wins uh, the fight. Very dramatic, I'm sure. Could even go back to the waterfall. I'm in for that. Um, but even though he is victorious, King T'Challa reflects upon his actions as king and upon the many uh, valid arguments that M'Baku was making. Um, and just like the first movie, T'Challa wins, but he loses. He was, he's wrong. Uh, 
in certain points. And M'Baku maybe is a better king, um, but he refuses to give it up to M'Baku because there are certain things where M'Baku is wrong. And so where they are both sides of, both opposite sides of the same coin, uh, T'Challa abdicates the throne in favor of Shuri. He sees her as the middle between M'Baku and T'Challa. She can be there for the people. Uh, because she, during the reconstruction process, she has really gotten to know um, the Wakandans, the people of Wakanda. And T'Challa even says that Bast has spoken to him and has chosen a new champion, and it's her. Of course, us as the viewer know that's a lie, and Bast didn't choose another champion. And so... T'Challa, um, he leaves Wakanda and goes to uh, Necropolis, which is the city of the dead in Wakanda. And T'Challa crowns himself king of the dead in Necropolis. And um, Eden Fezzi, now having a little bit better control over his uh, teleportation abilities... Eden takes T'Challa to Necropolis, to the City of the Dead, uh, where all the previous Black Panthers are buried. So, uh, not really any constituents for him to rule over. Uh, but Shuri is now the queen of Wakanda. And uh, so this allows for Shuri's plot to uh, really go into a good direction. And... If there were to be a Black Panther 4, for instance, kind of thing, uh, that follows Shuri uh, primarily, it would be of Shuri uh, maturing. Because as we saw in the first movie and in Infinity War and Endgame, she's kind of immature. She's, she's a kid. Um, and she may not have been fit to rule, but now having seen these atrocities and uh having helped reconstruct her entire country uh she will try to earn best's favor in the future of her plot line um and so yeah that is black panther 3 i think that's pretty cool um it's a pretty decent uh conclusion for black panther in his own stories and he's free to pop up in other people's now, including his sisters, if that continues. Uh, so then up to Spider-Woman. That's right, she gets a movie. Uh, we introduced her in Beyond, and then we kind of ignored her because she said she didn't really want to be a hero, and she didn't know what she was doing. Um, well, they uh, Spider-Woman goes back to her life after the events of Beyond pretty much pretending that didn't happen but um because she met spider-man um and they had this idea that maybe she's a clone like in the beyond storyline um i think it's kane i think is her name she's a clone of peter parker and so she this idea of being a clone it nags at spider-woman and she investigates and learns uh, that she wasn't born in a hospital, but she was actually born at Oscorp. 
And so Spider-Man checks up on her and it's really interesting because she's older than him because they use because she's a clone so they can use like growth rate serum, I guess. Um and so even though he's the original, she's older than him because of that stuff. But she's she's biologically older, but uh, she hasn't lived as long. <laughs> and so Spider-Man will like check up on her and she doesn't want to have anything to do with him because that'll just remind her that she is a clone and all these things. Which is really depressing, or at least the possibility that she's a clone. And so she was really just born a few years ago. Turns out her parents are Oscorp employees, and they are just tasked with taking care of her. Um, they're not obviously her actual parents because she's just a clone of Spider-Man. And so she ultimately learns about this whole conspiracy regarding her life. Um... And she seeks out Spider-Man's help uh, because she is a clone of him. So maybe he has some more answers. Uh, the two of them learn that Osborn is responsible, uh, but it was actually Dr. Octopus that figured out the cloning process. Um, so it was actually the two of them, Norman Osborn and Dr. Octopus. Uh, Spider-Woman gradually steps into the role as a hero in this movie um, under Spider-Man's guidance. So in Spider-Man 3, we talked a lot about Spider-Man always needing people. But this is an opportunity now. Someone needs him. He has to be there for someone else. He has to be the mentor. And he's still younger. And even though he was the leader of the Young Avengers, um, this is a chance for like a one-on-one -on -one kind of mentorship um and they're so their story is so closely related because of this um and so spider-man tries to teach her but she's actually like pretty good at being a hero pretty good at swinging from webs because she's a clone of him it's it all comes pretty natural <laughs> um because that's why he's such a good spider-man uh it's all natural um in the end uh, Spider-Man invites her to join the Young Avengers um, because she's now willing to accept uh, the responsibility of heroism, uh, now knowing her, her own story. Um, yeah, so that's my Spider-Woman movie. I think there's a fun opportunity because Spider-Man's been Mr. Pop Culture Reference and he's quoted Star Wars already. He has an opportunity to do a Star Wars Attack of the Clones reference, like your clones are very impressive kind of stuff. Um, so there's a lot of opportunity for that. Uh, that's Spider-Woman. Now moving on to Fantastic Four 2, Doom. Um, again, these next couple uh, aren't fully developed, but just, just some plot details. Um, so, of course, you got the Fantastic Four, Doom, right? The film's called Doom. It's got to have Dr. Doom in it. Remember, Reed Richards and Dr. Doom have fought, at least mentally, uh, in Beyond, and that's where they learned of uh, each other's further powers. 
Um, so Dr. Doom invites the Fantastic Four to Latveria, his country. Um, he rules Latveria with an iron fist, but the people of Latveria are like weirdly accepting of his very uh, aristocratic rule. <laughs> um, it's very... Uh, it's brutal, it's brutal, but the people prefer this uh, minimal freedom life society um, because they've never experienced anything different. This is as good as it gets. Um, and so when Mr. Fantastic and Dr. Doom see each other, of course, they can argue about the events of Battle World when Dr. Doom uh, thought he killed the Beyonder and took his power. Um, Dr. Doom and Molecule Man reveal that there's a girl there and that's why the Fantastic Four were invited uh, her name is Valeria Doom she has come to them and she's Dr. Doom's daughter um, it eventually later in the movie uh, would be revealed that uh, she is not only Dr. Doom's daughter but Susan Storm's child as well from another universe um, so she's Spawn of Dr. Doom and Susan Storm, the Invisible Woman from another universe. Uh, but she got stuck here. Uh, and so Reed is immediately amazed with uh, confirmation of uh, the multiverse, you know, even though he's had most of his confirmation. Um, but uh, he's also amazed with how smart she is because he always thought only Dr. Doom was, was even close to matching his intellect. Um, and, and she's this little kid. She's, she's like, she's real young. And so for this girl to be as smart as he is basically. Um, so Reed, Valeria and Dr. Doom, um, they solve multiversal travel without Pym particles because in Endgame they were traveling the multiverse, but just didn't know it. Um, and the way they do it is actually with Molecule Man's powers. His powers are the key to true multi to to easy multiversal travel. We'll say there's a lot of ways, but to easy multiversal travel, Molecule Man is the secret. Uh, because he's super powerful. Um, the Fantastic Four learn that Doctor Doom is trying to collect Infinity Stones from a different universe. And so they'll have to stop him. And he actually gets his hands on two stones from some other universe. And he returns to 1999-99, the main timeline. And when the Fantastic Four... Uh, after like chasing him and trying to fight him in this other universe, uh, the Fantastic Four confront him back uh, in 1999-99, and Doom tries to use the stones uh, yet again, as he has been. But unfortunately, the Infinity Stones do not work outside of their home universe. So the Fantastic Four are able to defeat him because... His whole weapon doesn't work in the universe he wants to conquer. Um, 
Dr. Doom, of course, very pissed off that he lost, um, tells the Fantastic Four that they need to leave. He'll uh, sick the Doombots on him. Um, and in this movie, the Doombots act more of as just uh, like the, the police for Latveria. Um, but they would be a, mili- a militant force as well. And so they could also fight the Fantastic Four uh, a little bit. I wouldn't want too much emphasis on it but because uh, it'd just be another faceless army when you've got the great faceless man, Dr. Doom. <laughs> and uh, Susan really wants Valeria to come uh, back to the United States with them uh, away from Doom, but she chooses to stay with Dr. Doom. Which um, is very interesting. Uh, moving on to... Uncanny X-Men 2. Uh, this one's a big family drama, uh, I think. Uh, you got Jean Grey, Storm, Cyclops. Cable is in this one. He finds the X-Men. Uh, your standard X-Men, Nightcrawler, Rogue, Beast, Kitty Pride, Professor X. Um, with your villains, that's right. Magneto is not in this one. He doesn't need to be. He'd, he'd have no place in this story. Uh, but Mystique is, Mr. Sinister is, and Madeline Pryor, the clone of Jean Grey. Which, if you remember Strife from the uh, Deadpool 3 that I was talking about, um, my idea for Deadpool 3, there's that character Strife, which is a clone uh, comprised of Cyclops, the clone of Jean Grey, and Cable. So, very interesting. Uh, Here is the clone of Jean Grey. Let's put it that way. Um, So what's Mystique doing in this, like I said, big family drama? She is the mother of Nightcrawler uh, in the comics, and she tried to kill him right after he was born. (laughs) Um, She also adopted Rogue, um, as I had mentioned before. And so Nightcrawler wants to know if she is his mother, and Rogue doesn't want anything to do with her because she's the murderous mystique. She's not a good person. Um, She's got her own agenda, her own uh, mutant followers, and um, she's just trying to make it by. Um, So there's some good family right there. Uh, Cable also comes to the X-Men to meet his parents. After all, he is the son of Cyclops and Jean Grey. Um, But he doesn't reveal that he is doing so. Uh, It might even be the clone of Jean Grey. I forget which which Jean Grey is Cable's mother. Um, But he keeps it all secret. He just wants to do it for himself. He doesn't want to mess with the timeline or anything. Um, Mr. Sinister... uh, in this movie would clone Jean Grey uh, because ultimately he wants Cyclops' attention so by kidnapping Jean Grey that would be a good way to get Cyclops' attention Uh, Mr. Sinister in the comics has always been very interested in Cyclops' genealogy Um, and he he thinks he might even be part alien Um, but don't worry about Cyclops isn't part alien Um, it's just his father's in space yeah very confusing um, 
that wouldn't be super dealt with in this because I think it would make it too complicated. But uh, that is the hidden reason why Sinister thinks he's part alien because Cyclops' father is actually alive even though he thought he was dead. Um, so this clone, Madeline Pryor, and she pretends to be friendly with the X-Men. Um, and she, after all, she's just a victim. She didn't ask to be a part of this. She didn't ask to be born. She's a clone of one of their own heroes. So, of course, she's going to be a good person, you know. But, of course, it's all a cover because she's a covert agent for Sinister amongst the X-Men. Um, Cyclops even sleeps with Madeline Pryor thinking she is Jean Grey. Um, maybe that's how Cable's born. Who knows? Um, the X-Men also learn during the end of this Havoc, right? We talked about Havoc in Inhumans. Uh, they briefly touch on the Terrigen Mists that are killing the mutants around the world. Um, and they learn that Cyclops' brother, Havoc, is responsible for such things. So now they got to go deal with Havoc. The the Inhumans got to deal with Havoc. The X-Men got to deal with Havoc. Every, Havoc's just pissing everybody off. Uh, next up, we got Avengers 6 as the end of Phase 5. Avengers 6, Dark Reign. Um, of course, big comic book story pretty recently. Um, within the past 15 years, and it's a, it's a doozy, um, dark rain, uh, so for our heroes, we got Spider-Man, Spider-Woman, War Machine, Winter Soldier, uh, Falcon, Ant-Man, Wasp, She-Hulk, Black Panther, Reed Richards, Susan Storm, Valkyrie, and Maria Hill, a lot of the, um, big New York heroes that aren't necessarily uh, as OP as, uh, but not even not even the New York heroes, uh, because you got like Black Panther, who's from Wakanda, you got Valkyrie, who's uh, from New Asgard, and so, so not even just the New York heroes, Ambien and the Wasp are from California, uh, because our villains are Norman Osborn, Namor, Emma Frost, Doctor Doom, Mitchell Carson, and Justin Hammer. So in case some of those names sound familiar but you're not sure who they are or they don't sound familiar at all, Mitchell Carson uh, was the uh, ex-Shield agent, actual Hydra agent of Ant-Man 1, the guy who was trying to buy Yellow Jacket's formula. Um, Justin Hammer is the guy from Iron Man 2, uh, he runs Hammer Tech, Hammer Industries, whatever it is. Um, and he was just a competitor with Iron Man. Uh, but then he was imprisoned with uh, the Mandarin eventually. The Mandarin was imprisoned with him, I guess, because he was already there. But he was imprisoned for the whole Ivan Vanko whiplash stuff. Um, so... Uh, what's going on here, Dark Reign? Why, why this team of villains? Um, like I said about Masters of Evil, we n we've never really seen our heroes go up against a team of villains. Well, they do in Masters of Evil, and they do again. 
um, due to an increased awareness of superpowered people in the world, as well as the recent events of secret invasion of not knowing who to trust the the world's governments have lost faith in our heroes that we've been following after all the avengers used to be a government program when shield had the council above it and it was shield run um and then after that they tried the sokovia accords to uh, register the heroes ultimately though there's no way to put any limitations on these heroes um, because that kind of flaked away and so the UN decides um, decide is that plural the United Nations decide yeah I guess uh, the UN <laughs> decide that uh, they need their own Avengers because the the real Avengers they they can't be relied on. They're they're just individuals. They're independently run. Uh so they need their own Avengers. And who are they gonna get? They're gonna get their own Tony Stark, the guy who started the Avengers, they're gonna get their own Tony Stark. Who is Tony Stark? Since Tony Stark is dead, obviously. Who who is the new Tony Stark? Norman Osborn. After all, he runs Oscorp. He's a uh, big in the military contracting industry. Um and so he is granted the Iron Patriot armor, you know, the one War Machine used to wear. But this one's slightly different um, because it's obviously not the War Machine armor. Um, and so Norman Osborn, as the leader of this, Aven this Dark Avengers initiative, uh, he is tasked with assembling his own team. And so he builds a team that uh, represents mutants, Atlanteans, and even the secluded Latveria with... Uh, the choices I had said earlier, Namor, Emma Frost, um, Dr. Doom, Mitchell Carson, and Justin Hammer. Um, so let's talk about his team. Mitchell Carson is the ex-Shield agent from Ant-Man, and he sees this as a way for Hydra to come back in the world's favor. Um, because he can later just reveal when this whole plan works out, he can reveal, oh, I was a Hydra agent. Look, we're good. Um... Justin Hammer, he's really here as like a dutiful assistant to Osborn. Um, because Osborn maybe helped him get his charges cleared years ago, um, securing the blame just to be put on Ivan Venko, who's dead, so he can't even defend himself. But why would he, anyways? Um, because he was definitely trying to attack Iron Man. And so. Justin Hammer is mostly innocent for uh, those he's cleared of his charges um, because they put the plan, the blame on Vanko. Uh, Dr. Doom is there to use this as an avenue to bring to reality his desire of conquering the world. Um, after all, this really puts him uh, in the government's favor. He's there to watch over the heroes. Um, Emma Frost, uh, she's happy that mutants could be part of Osborn's new world order, um, or at least just the new world order, if we don't want to call it Osborn's new world order, um, cause he's just assembling the team. Uh, Namor is, in this story is initially an incredible help, is an incredible help, uh, with creating diplomatic actions against superheroes because... 
he's actually met a lot of them um meeting like black panther and dealing with it as a king dealing with his own problems um and all these other political things uh, of course dr doom is as well but um but Namor uh, is would ultimately be the downfall of Norman Osborn. He would betray him, and thus kind of continuing to reestablish Namor as an antihero. That's like, oh, you don't know whether you want to cheer for him or not because he's a villain. But sometimes he does good things that help out. And so ultimately, he's the downfall of Norman Osborn. Um. Like I said, Osborne in the world's eyes is a replacement for Tony Stark as a brilliant industrialist, uh, military contractor. Um, and so Norman Osborne sees heroes as bad for business because when you have so many heroes around, do you need these massive militaries? Maybe not. But um, uh, also going back to like the Civil War ideas, um, these heroes have no boundaries. They're interfere, they interfere in democracy. Um, they have no borders, so stuff like that. Um, the so the heroes kind of make sense because a lot of their the villains are very personal to them. So like Spider Man, Spider Woman with Norman Osborn, um, War Machine, Justin Hammer, um, Winter Soldier, and Falcon, of course, in the limelight as Avengers, uh, Ant Man and the Wasp with Mitchell Carson. Uh, Black Panther and Namor, uh, and then Reed Richards, Susan Storm, and Doctor Doom. Uh, Valkyrie's a little out of place, but uh, she's from an isolated part of the world. Um, this Asgardian presence is another reason for the... I need to sneeze. <coughs> um, sorry about that. Uh the, this new Asgardian presence that's been around uh, for now some time uh, is just another uh, strike against these heroes uh, because Earth didn't ask for these Asgardians to be here. Uh, they're all just refugees settling here. Um, and then, of course, Maria Hill as a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent is against Mitchell Carson. Uh an ex-shield agent, hydra agent. Uh, so Emma Frost as a mutant. Um, of course, a lot of mutants aren't going to step up too much because the more they step up, the more notice they get and the more hated they are. <laughs> um, so really the only hero in here that's... Because uh, I didn't want too many heroes to be in this. Um, the only hero that's uh, really out of place is She-Hulk in terms of the villains. And so what's her presence here? Why did I want her in the here? Uh, first off, I just want her introduced, finally. I, I mentioned her in Spider-Man 3, uh, in my idea for Spider-Man 3. But So so she's kind of out of place. Um, but what's great is she, just like Daredevil, is a lawyer. And so she can, where Namor is like making these laws and whatnot with Doctor Doom and Norman Osborn, uh, making these anti- <laughs> not anti-hero, but uh, making these negative legislation towards heroes, um, she can actively fight in and outside the courtroom against these laws passed by the Dark Avengers. Um, 
and she can also fight against the laws that even grant the dark these dark avengers uh authority and so that's going to be her main role but what's great is she's also a hulk so uh yeah very fun uh, i suppose you could throw hulk in this movie also because i mean you'd finally get hulk bruce banner and jennifer walters which is his cousin you'd finally get their uh a lot of their interactions together and so big stuff there um and yeah that's avenger 6 dark rain that is the end of phase five um I hope you're still with me. Uh, we're going to kick it into phase six in the next episode. Um, there's not too many in phase six. Um, not too many movies just because really ran out of time. Um, but at the end, I will mention some quick like one-liners about movies that I think can easily be added into this um, that I left out, unfortunately. Uh, so, uh, thanks for tuning in with me. This is Unanimous Indecision. I'm Joshua Troop. We'll catch you next time.